I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Kieran. Hey, Eve. How's it going? It's going pretty well, actually. Finally starting to look up, so I'm happy about this. How is how is your life? Well, Thanksgiving break has just ended. I'm prepping for my classes tomorrow or my class tomorrow and uh, not excited about the whole going back to work thing, but also like really ready to be done. And we only have one one week of classes and then finals and then we're good. Yay. Last yeah. stretch. So close. Yeah. That's good. So so close. I've started uh, organizing the tenants in my building against <laughs> my landlord uh, uh-huh. so we can like stop paying for heat in a way that isn't consistent with the law, which will be nice. And then that sounds good. And then if they retaliate by turning the heat off, they like get in even more trouble. So we're just building a lot of like renter solidarity right now. Like, well, our landlord is bad. How can we use this? Mm-hmm. Good. Good. As you should. Yeah. I um one of the things that I was doing today was while I was grading, I was watching nine to five for the first time. Mm-hmm. Have you seen no. it? <laughs> like I don't know if you've been like tracking this whole like Dolly Parton obsession that I've been on, but like it is increasing <laughs> exponentially. So I'll just for any of you homeschool kids who don't know what this movie is, this is like a movie with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin organizing in their workplace mm. as secretaries. Oh my god. And trying to get revenge on their bad boss and Dolly Parton is like their like comedic sidekick, and it's her first acting Amazing. experience. And she wrote the song Nine to Five for this movie. Oh, and and that's what Elizabeth Warren uses as her like yes entrance music. Oh my god, I need to see this now. Yeah, yeah. it's it's there's like a whole. I mean, if you like Grace and Frankie, you're, you're going to, like, really get a kick out of this because it's, like, got all of these these moments that are clearly Grace and Frankie are calling back to it where, like, Lily Tomlin's pulling out a joint at the bar <laughs> and, like, they're, like, debating about getting high and, like, there's an entire fantasy sequence that's, like, while they're stoned, fantasizing about, like, how they're going to kill their boss. Amazing. And it's so, so good. Amazing, but um, yeah, I haven't quite finished it. But <laughs> that's what I was doing while I was grading. It's a solid plan. It's a solid plan. Yeah, I, I am enjoying this this newfound obsession. <laughs> Speaking of sticking it to men, uh, what are we? This cat is so loud. I know, <laughs> I know. This is I'm, so I'm cat sitting my cat nephew, and mm-hmm. uh, his. Dad got stuck in snow in NorCal um, and is still on the road. So my cat nephew is still here. And Peridot is so angry about this. So, so angry about having a, like, boy cat in the house. She's just like, (laughs) 
I don't like this. I don't know who you are. This is rude. But when he purrs, he sounds like a bird cooing. And his yeah. meows are like squeaks. Like it's it's so adorable. Well, this is this is why I call my my smaller cat like bird cat half the yeah. time because she sounds like a bird. Yeah. Yeah. So cute. Yeah. So if there's random purring, it's because someone hopped up on my lap and decided to purr into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, speaking of sticking it to the man. Uh, let's talk about some, <laughs> like, trying to, like, find an insult that's, like, not homophobic for this guy. Some cowards. Yeah. Let's talk about some evangelical cowards. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's this tweet that's been going around with this photo of Franklin Graham, who's Billy Graham's son, mm-hmm. and Eric Metaxas, and these, like, early reader style picture books. Yeah. Fetishizing. Fantasizing. Fetishizing Donald Trump as a like modern day like fairy tale hero. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, they look like Gaston wrote them about himself. Like, let's just start. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's two books. One is called Donald drains the swamp and the other is called Donald builds the wall and it's like mm-hmm. it's like almost trying to be Dr. Seuss meets the Flintstones aesthetically yeah there's this whole thing where the citizens of the United States are compared to cavemen and Donald is the famous caveman and he's wearing a US flag tunic <laughs> in the in the cover art because that's not it. It didn't need to be subtle. Oh no! <laughs> there was no. He was not going for subtlety here. <laughs> and then, and then, like, so the first book, according to the look inside, because we're not willing to pay for it. Um, the first book is about how Donald the is the hero because you know the president like went away and doesn't and lives in a white house in the middle of the swamp and doesn't talk to his citizens anymore. So citizens are sad. So Donald takes it upon himself to remedy that situation and drains the swamp, therefore making everybody happy. And I guess that's when they elect him president. I'm not sure. I can't see the whole thing. Caveman president. The caveman Caveman president. Uh, Yeah. So... And then in the second book, according to the little bits we can see from the previews. Oh, and like, wait, hang on. The swamp is inhabited by monsters who are depicted as dinosaurs. You know. Yeah, we know. Okay. (laughs) But then like pause and go to the second book where the second book is like, because the swamp has been drained, now everybody wants to come to the United States, to this country. Oh, no. And so everybody's coming, and some people are useful, like the guy who invented the wheel. Sure. But apparently some people are not, and they're more monsters. Mm-hmm. And so he needs to build a wall to keep people out. Right, because you couldn't just have all these, keep all monsters these people out. here and, you know, existing. Yeah. 
According to our our, our buddy Libby Ann over on her blog, uh, she <laughs> she says that uh, it's reportedly claimed that this is supposed to be a tribute to Marty Sendek. What? You know who Marty Sendek is, right? Yeah. He's the guy who illustrated where the wild things yeah, are. Yeah, but like the thing Among about everything that else good is like it's not it doesn't no, no, nothing about this art says where the <laughs> well, wild like, things let's are. Let's talk about how like Murray Sendak like is a child of the Holocaust. Yeah. And is Jewish. Mm-hmm. And this is a fantasy where putting Foreigners who are now portrayed as monsters in the art in cages is and locking them out with a wall is cool. Like, that's what the hero does in the story. Mm. Yeah. I feel like... I feel like someone... Uh, no... That's not right. that's not how you do a tribute. I don't think so. I think that's like exactly the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that Libyan pointed out in her blog post that we'll link in the notes is how very much these books mirror like Nazi propaganda children's books mm-hmm. that were circulating around then, which uh, Metaxas had a huge problem with because he's like, it wasn't like Nazis at oh, yeah, all. Oh, yeah, didn't he send her a cease and desist? I think so. He Or Cute. at least threatened to sue Patheos, which like... <laughs> good luck trying. Honey, good luck. Um, My contribution no, the, was the, I told him to maybe stop being a Nazi then if he didn't want people oh. to say he was a Nazi. It was like, Okay, well. but like, let's, let's, put this, <laughs> let's put this in perspective. Let's put this in perspective. Like, we in the United States have used similar propaganda. Oh, yeah. If you look at any of the World War II art, yep. like, about, like, why you should sign up for the military mm-hmm. or, like, go on rations or, like, volunteer for XYZ Red Cross thing. Or, oh, yeah. Like, it's all dehumanized caricatures yeah. of the Japanese or the, the Russians or the Germans. Yep. Like, yeah, yeah. We have a long history oh, yeah. of this. It's fucked up. Yeah, none of this is a this new, is new new thing at all. This is what people have done because it's propaganda and propaganda is effective. I wonder how Billy Graham would feel about this, about his son hawking this. That's a really good, like, that's an interesting question because, like... Like, that's the thing that still bothers me. Billy Graham me. would be able to recognize what's going on Yeah. Here. Yeah, like, it's... Fl- Franklin has always been more extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Billy Graham was weirdly... Christian version of centrist. Yeah, Billy Graham had his problems, and I'm not going to let him off the hook, but, like, he wasn't a fascist. Right, and he... He, he was a capitalist. Yeah. And his son is a fascist. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's it's really kind of wild to watch like this turn of like conservative evangelicals like 
full, like a full, full hard right turn right into fascism. Like I remember, like it's it feels so different from like when when I was growing up and I was like, well, Hitler was bad, and anyone who does anything like Hitler is also bad because that was a bad thing to do. And now, like this is literally happening again, and all of those leaders are like justifying it. Which is really interesting and brings us directly to our next point about who the fuck is Eric Metaxas yeah. and why do we know of him? Yeah. Yeah. Who is he? Because <laughs> I keep wanting to This call connects him, to this. Yes. What do you keep wanting to I keep to wanting call to call him Metataxes because that's like my ADHD brain. <laughs> it's mm. like this is obviously Metataxes. It's not. But it makes me giggle. Okay. So, like, let's back up here. Um, my first encounter with Metaxas was when he came to my undergrad, probably my sophomore or junior year. Probably my sophomore year. I need to look at the dates on this. Um, hang on. Let me, like, check the publication date <laughs> of this book. Um, okay. 2010. So... Yeah, my junior year, he came to my alma mater, Grove City College, super fundamentalist shithole. Um, very proud alumni here. Um, <laughs> it's just, alumna. it's just, it's just like radiating <laughs> off of you. It's just so, you know, if they ever showed any pride in me, I might return the favor, but, um, so he came on his book tour for this book. And which book? Because it's not these books. No, it's not these books. It is a book that has to do with Nazis. So let's pause and let's get back to the original real question here. What did you grow up knowing about Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Not much at all. Like, I heard his name a couple times in, like, references to, like, mm -hmm. a theologian, but I never, like, learned about him, like, outside of, like, those random references in, like, whatever other Christian book I was reading. It was just like, Dietrich okay. Bonhoeffer said blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I don't know who this dude is. Did you is. ever watch the the movie of him with um, whichever fiend's brother plays Voldemort as the lead? No. Wait, no, hang on. I'm mixing up movies. I'm mixing up. <laughs> that's Luther. I'm mixing up. Oh, my God. I'm mixing up two very different movies. <laughs> I was like, I, I feel like I should know. I feel like I should have seen this. <laughs> There what is a is movie, dear listeners, there is a movie where Ralph Fiennes plays Martin Luther, and it's wild. Yes, I feel like I've seen that one. Okay, but I don't no, the one the I'm thinking of that I meant to reference is this, well, there's like, I guess there's a couple of them. There's a biopic of Sophie Scholl, and there's a biopic of him. Um, do you have any familiarity with that name Sophie Scholl no like it seems like something I had probably seen before but no association with like okay so I'm looking is. this up now the movie on her is called The Final Days and it came out in 20, 2005 um so there is this there's this 
anti-Nazi, non-violence resistance group in Nazi Germany, um, led by a bunch of students, and it was called the White Rose. And she is the, like, the most well-known of these White Rose members, and she was executed um, in 1943 by guillotine at age 21. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like uh, I have heard this story. Right. Yeah. And if I am remembering correctly, I gotta, I'm like fact-checking myself here because I feel crazy. If I'm remembering correctly, she was mentored by Bonhoeffer. Ah. Book review, Sophie Scholl and the White Rose. Okay. I am, so I'm remembering a scene in this movie where they basically insinuated that Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a romantic relationship with Sophie Scholl. Ah. And I don't know that that, that was true. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, like, fact-checking my, like, homeschool education. As as you do. And, Live and like, while we you do know. this. <laughs> these, are, these are the things. Siblings. Uh, okay. Hans was supposed to meet with Bonhoeffer, but never did. Hans is the brother. Okay, so... So they had similar values. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were involved. Cool. cool. Okay, sorry for the detour into Sophie Scholl. <laughs> so, see, and this is this is the problem, though. This is the problem is, like, what Eric Metaxas promoted is so historically inaccurate. Right. According to... Bonhoeffer scholars and so my my perspective on all this is skewed by that right because that's that's what happens when when that's your resource on history and and it's all all there right okay so Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pacifist Mm -hmm. that was his like most notable like defining theological characteristic and so he was involved in an assassination attempt on Hitler's life. And that's, like, really remarkable. Yeah. Um, the July 20th plot with, like, the um, the suitcase under the table in, in the bunker. Oh, like, that okay. was That was the plot that he was involved, directly involved with. And so... Um, it's he is like this pivotal theological voice for like the shift between like pacifist resistance mm-hmm. to like choosing violence for a certain cause. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um like to achieve a certain end. Yeah. Like and so he wrote a whole whole lot of stuff he was in prison for a very long time during the the nazi regime and he a lot of his writings happened then so he but one of his big early influences was he traveled to the united states in 1930 and was involved at union theological seminary and like spent time with 
um, African-American pastors in Harlem. Ah. And that really influenced his, like, experience of faith and theology. And he goes back to Germany and, you know, sticks around, is involved in the resistance, and then is involved in this attempt on Hitler's life. It fails. He gets arrested and imprisoned, and then he is eventually executed. Right. In 1945. Yes. So that's the short version of his story. And um, and that's all pretty well depicted in this, this movie. What was the movie? Agent of Grace, I think, is the one that is referred to. That makes sense. Eric Till. Yeah, this is the... the Christian filmmaking version and oh it's a different student okay so it's not it's not Sophie Scholl that they play as his his love interest but it's a it's a different ah. student of the same same caliber okay um but that sets the scene yeah all right so okay, there was this so, like peaceful turned let's try to subtly kill Hitler activist theologian dude during Nazi Germany Right, and he wrote a bunch of shit about while he was imprisoned after his assassination attempt about why that was justified, like, theologically. And his writings are, like, really important for, like, 20th century theology discourse, especially in evangelical circles. Mm -hmm. So Eric Metaxas goes and writes a biography of him. Because, of course... Right. So Eric Pentaxis writes this biography of him that's, like, very, like, um, pop culture accessible. It's a fan's biography. Uh. And it's written in a way that's, like, super easy to read and not, like, heavily academic. Which is nice, but Bonhoeffer scholars hate it. And say that, like, there's no academic rigor behind it. Well, I mean, that seems likely. Who is... But it won the... <laughs> like, I guess the Christian book publishing world had the their version of the National Book Awards, and it won in 2010. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, it's... This is why I remember that book tour, because this was a big deal. Right. This was a big story. This was, like, supposed to be, like, revealing secrets about this person and, like, basically showing him to be, like, like on the level of the next Jim Elliot. Uh. Like, like, he's, like, yeah. our hero for how we... And, of course, all this is, like, it's 2010. We're, like, in the, like, popular culture understanding of it like the decline of the iraq war we're a we've just elected barack obama like all of these things so this like really appeals to this romantic imagination Mm -hmm. that's like hey remember remember fascism but remember fascism so wait so he Writes a biography about the anti-fascist. Right. Pacifist. Yeah. Pastor. Who tries to kill the fascist. Right. President. Yeah. And it's like, that's what he's best known for in our circles. Yeah. And he also... And, you know, he's writing 
children's books praising the fascist president? He's, he's, he, yeah, like he's literally writing Trump propaganda. And, and, and what else has he done besides just write this one book? Like he, he did some other stuff that was <laughs> interesting. One of them was Omelette from Veggie Tales. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like for the parody of Hamlet. Right. Yeah, because. From Lyle the Kindly Viking. He wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote a bunch of scripts for Veggie Tales. Um, but that's his like best well known best known one. Yeah. He also wrote not wrote, he voiced the narrator in the uh Esther, the girl who would be queen. Right. That's that that episode <laughs> of Veggie Tales. Yeah. So if you remember that voice, that sultry, sultry voice, that's our hero, Eric Metaxas. <laughs> It's, it's, I'm so sad now. <laughs> I just, well, I'm sad because, like, I feel like these, these, I don't know. I feel like my understanding of Bonhoeffer would be, I would be much more curious about him if it hadn't been so, if he hadn't been so lionized right. by corrupt evangelicals like this guy. Yeah, yeah. Because, I, I mean, I feel like that's, like, a truly heroic story. Right. And I would probably want to read The Cost of Discipleship, which is the, his book. Yeah. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book. But, like, now I don't because it's, like, right. so wrapped up in memories of men like this guy. Yeah. Yeah, so it's important that we know he wrote the weird fake thing on Bonhoeffer because after everyone has been calling him out for like writing Nazi propaganda, he's like, no, I don't like Nazis. I wrote a book about this dude who was anti-Nazi as if that somehow makes him not a fascist. (laughs) You know, there, that, that, that thought question of like, what would you do as a citizen under Nazi Germany? Right. You know, that thought experiment, like, keeps coming up. And, like, the correct answer is whatever you're doing right now. Right. Yeah. As a human in this society, whatever you are doing is what you would be doing. And so I'm not Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm not in jail writing a manifesto that's going to be studied for the ages. Right. But Eric Metaxas, (laughs) you... Are a whole lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck, dude? You're literally writing propaganda for the the like those in power. Like, so much of that, like it 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 goes against all of like what what I imagine Bonhoeffer's points were about like resisting. Hitler and Nazism, which is like other people are humans too. And by depicting like everyone who isn't a caveman as like a monster or an evil dragon. I mean like when it's rude to dragon. Hang on for a sec hang on for a second. Let me like when I was in Peace Corps was when Trump got elected. Yeah. And I had the opportunity to like try to fight my whole early dismissal situation. For those who don't know, I was sexually assaulted, which is why I left six months early. And I could have pushed back against it in ways that would have 
shamed Peace Corps for how they handled it. It was it was awfully handled. The whole thing was horrible. But I didn't because literally because of Bonhoeffer, actually. I didn't make this connection before, but I didn't because I felt obligated to stay. To be here, mm-hmm. to be present, to be a participant, to be an agent of change in whatever small way I could. Like, I may not be doing a ton with, like, what I'm teaching my students, but, like, I'm not running abroad and ignoring Right. Like, not to condemn, like, anyone who has done that. Like, obviously, there's, like, good reasons for various people doing that and privilege plays into it. But, like, I have the privilege to be able to stay here and be relatively safe. So I chose to stay here. Right. I didn't choose to, I like did not apply for other jobs in, internationally for teaching. I stayed here. And so, and I told people that where it's like, you know, like after Peace Corps, I could have kept going and could have just stayed away, but I didn't want to. I wanted to be here. I felt obligated to be involved. Yeah. And that's like Bonhoeffer's thing was like helping his students. Like he had that, that choice in 1931 to go back. Or to stay in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't have to go back to Germany. Right. And he went back to Germany. And he kept, he left again later and he kept going back. And he was there to help his country. To He was a teacher. And that's part of his, his connection to the White Rose and my confusion with Sophie Scholl is like, he was working with his students. Right. He was teaching. He was actively on the ground helping the White Rose Movement, which was organized by students. Like, that was his thing. Yeah. So, yeah, what the fuck, Eric Metaxas? Yeah. Maybe, (laughs) maybe stop being a fucking Nazi. Like, it's not hard. You can just not be a Nazi. Okay, okay. So he's also involved with this other organization that I think, like, really, like, doubles down on this whole thing. What is it? <laughs> so he's the King's College in New York. Oh, yeah. Let's explain King's College. You had a good explanation. Okay. Yeah, okay. So the King's College is Patrick Henry for those who want to go into journalism, media, uh, journalism and media, and it's headquartered in New York City. Yeah. That's my that's my King's College 101 yeah. pitch. Yeah, that's basically accurate. Yeah. Uh, it was a a liberal arts co- a college from New Jersey that like went bankrupt, got bought out by Bill Bright of uh, Campus, Campus Crusade. Crusade for Christ. Is that right? Hang on, let me just double check. I'm pretty sure that's who. Campus yeah, Campus Crusade. Yeah, 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 no, it was Campus Crusade. I, I, yeah, I, um, I was confusing it with someone else. Um, yeah, so Campus Crusade for Christ takes over the debt, buys it out. They appoint Dinesh D'Souza as the president. Sure. <laughs> okay. They have their uh, headquarters, their offices, their classroom spaces in the Empire State Building. Um, you know, that's that's a yeah. normal place for a college. Totally normal. <laughs> and Eric Metaxas is heavily involved. And he had a, a radio show recently. Hang on. Got to pull this back up. Had a radio show, a two-hour one. It was right? broadcasted, yeah, two-hour according to Wikipedia, 
to our daily nationally syndicated radio program broadcast from the Empire State Building in New York called the Eric Metaxas Show. Guarantee you that space was provided to him by the King's College. Yeah. The show is syndicated by the Salem Radio Network, which is a subsidiary of Salem Web Network, which was my first media internship in college. It's a sophomore. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and guests include people like David Brooks, Kathy Lee Gifford, N.T. Wright, Peter Hitchens, and uh, Maria Butina, and Milo, whatever his last name is, because I can never get it right, and I don't care to. Wow. That's like the worst who's who. It's the who shouldn't be. Yeah. Here. Yeah. It, it really <laughs> is. Um, cool. Cool. So, yeah. Nazi platforming. Not, Not surprising. Platforming. See, this Not is why I feel like he can't complain when people are like, hey, this is fascist. <laughs> like, he has no grounds. Dude, dude, you hosted Maria Bettina. Like, <laughs> mm. no. How could, just no. How could, how could, like, a voice of Veggie Tales go so horribly wrong. I mean, it's not yeah, surprising. Yeah, I bet you he's a multi <laughs> but, too. Now I'm looking at yeah. this, and it says in 2012, he was the keynote speaker for the National Prayer Breakfast. Ah, uh, yeah. See, this is why everything is just so... It's, it's all, all connected. connected. Yeah. is real, part eight. <laughs> yes. 10, 25, 30. It's just going to keep going, forever. basically. Can we stop yeah, this I podcast? Would, I would love to, like, have a reason to, like quit this podcast when the conspiracy so stops like Eric being Metaxas real then we can stop keep making bad choices I, know. <laughs> I just I just can't I I would love someone who's a Yaley to comment on this like he graduated from Yale and he apparently was an editor of the Yale record I have no idea what that magazine is supposedly known for, but I imagine it's not good. Yeah, it sounds like the school newspaper no one reads, but for a reason. Well, it's a comedy. Oh. It's a comedy. Ha! Okay, uh, that seems, no. Like a satire. Oh, God. Ma- humor magazine. Um, but he was the editor for it. Like, I don't know. I, I have just, questions. I have questions. <laughs> I have lots of questions. <laughs> I so many questions. I just... And, you know, he's 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 one of these guys that's, like, gotten himself in so many professional troubles. And we don't hear anything about, like, his personal life or his actual character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like... That's a clean-up job. Yeah, that's a bad sign. That's it's a bad, it's a bad sign. sign. That is a sign of not good things. Like, and also a sign of, like, how well-connected he is, right? No, it's a clear indicator yeah. of how, how well-connected yeah, like, he is. Yeah, like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this dude is now writing children's books for... Lauding Donald Trump as, like, our, our caveman hero president. Yeah. which goes into, like, <laughs> like, some of the stuff that we were talking about a couple episodes ago about how everyone, like, all the evangelical leaders are, like, 
pushing this line that's like, well, God uses an imperfect vessel and Donald Trump is that vessel right. and we should all fall right. behind him because it's obviously like what God wants. If you haven't watched the family documentary, like I know we we keep playing phone tag with Jeff Charlotte. I'll just say it. We've, yeah. we've been, We're trying. Like he is committed. He's committed to talk with us and we haven't nailed down a date. We've, we've got him on the phone a couple times. It just hasn't worked. But like, uh, go watch like it. If you go, go watch his doc, like go watch the documentary. Like you'll ta- see them talking about King David, which by the way, my English 112 students had to discuss the story of Bathsheba f- because of a reference in a poem we were reading recently. Oh, fascinating. Normies don't know this story. What? They don't know. They don't know David and Bathsheba. Should we should we should we take a second and educate our friends about this? Um, I don't know. Like I just I, well, we can get to that in a second, yeah. but like the the family refers to King David, who we will spoiler alert, he's a rapist, um as like the flawed vessel. And, like, God can still use a flawed leader. And so there's this, like, acknowledgement of the, like, depth of the depravity that the leader would Mm -hmm. sink to. And yet that's somehow fine. Right, because God appointed him. So it's, it's whitewashed under this, like, but divine ordinance. Mm -hmm. So when we look at Mitex's treatment of Trump, that's exactly what we're seeing here. Right. It's a very it's a very clear cut connection. Yeah. So this story of <laughs> David and Bathsheba right, for because apparently this isn't like common culture. Is this knowledge. the rubber duck version? What? Is this the rubber duck version? Yeah. Yeah. So there was this rubber ducky <laughs> named Bathsheba <laughs> that Larry the Cucumber who played David was really Because of course like women have to be objectified. Literally. Oh yeah, like let's like yeah, like that's a whole other <laughs> other thing where it's like women are literally objects. But anyway, in case long- you don't get the reference, we're referring to the Veggie Tales version of the story, which involves a rubber duck. Yes, in fact, it may be on Netflix. I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere. No, I'm sure it's on YouTube. It's definitely I'm sure on, it's on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, you can look up it's like uh, King Larry and the Rubber Duck. Yeah, yeah. Um, and anyway, but the non-ducky version mm. about it is um, there was this dude named David who at some point when he was a child, God had like anointed him to be king and then he somehow became king. I don't remember. It's not important. Um, and so while he's There king, was a lot of harp throwing. Yeah, there was. And hearing the king's daughter. Yeah. Who laughed at him and got cursed with being unable to carry children because of it. Right. He. Because he was dancing naked in the street. Yeah. He was interesting. King David was gay, went to pride, and his wife laughed at him, and God cursed her. So. Yeah. See, and this is why I'm like, gay Christians have to do a lot of work. (laughs) Anyway. King David is gay and in denial about it because he's a king, and you can't be gay and be king in this Bible time period. Um, But I think he was also a little bit bi, maybe. Because I mean, you can be gay and be king, but you just have to have babies as well. Right, yeah, you have to continue the line. So, um, 
I don't remember if he was at war to begin with or if he went to war. So No, he was, it, it was already at war. War was ongoing and that's why he was bored because none of his friends were around to yes. with him because everybody was out fighting for him and he had stayed home for like the first time. Ever. Yeah. He was normally like on the front lines and this time he was like, I'm going to take it easy. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's king now. He can do that. Mm. So he like is also kind of peeping Tom. And, like, sees this woman taking a bath and he knows her husband or whatever. And he, like, gets really horny. His hu- Her husband is his best friend. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. From, like, their time at war. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's just, like. So, yeah. yeah. So his best his best friend, soldier, his wife, he finds, like, he suddenly needs her. And so what he mm-hmm. does is he sends his best war buddy to the front line no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. You're missing a step. Yes. First of all, his first his war buddy's already at the front. Right. Bathsheba's bathing naked on the roof. He sees her as like, hey, I'm the king. Come invite her over. Right. Which is a command, not an invitation. Yes. So he fucks her, which is obviously not consensual because she's his subject and a woman. So like a property yeah. slash duck. Yep. Can't do anything about it. Yep. She's taken a bath with King Larry. Right. Um, she gets pregnant. She comes back to him and she's like, hey, I'm pregnant. And he's like, oh, shit. So he recalls his general, his best friend, and brings only him, not like his whole command, his right. like platoon or whatever. He just brings him back to town and is like, hey, you need a break. Come hang out with your wife. Like, have a, you know, take yeah. it easy. And his best friend is like sleeping on the street outside of his own house and refusing to go in and sleep with his wife because all of his soldiers are on the front lines and can't see their wives. And so he thinks it's unfair. And so out of solidarity to his unit Mm -hmm. and to his soldiers under his command, he refuses to sleep with his wife. And so King David's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. So he can't cover it up. So he sends him back and is like send him and his men forward and everybody else step back yeah yeah so he just sends sends his bff out to die in this war Mm -hmm. entirely because he got his best friend's wife pregnant while his best friend was at war Mm -mm. for my best friend yeah so that's king david that's why he's the flawed vessel that everyone is like referring to right because he right. committed and murder. And during this whole time, like, I think the only reason he actually did anything about it is because, like, the prophet came and was like, yo, dude, you should feel guilty about this. And right. he was like, oh, man, I guess I should. Maybe I'll bring my friend back. Yes. Yeah. Tried to cover yeah. it up. So there was, there was a lot going on. But, like, that's why on. that's why all the evangelicals are making that reference. Because, like, right. that right. was obviously so, a bad thing. But he still, child like, did stuff. died really young, didn't survive beyond a couple of weeks. Yeah. And was chucked up to like, oh, this is like punishment for what I did. It, this is fair. And then the next son was Solomon. Right. Who inherited the entire empire. Yes. So like that's where this is. A big yeah. Thing. Yeah. And so because of all that and he was good at wars and conquering for Jesus who didn't exist yet. <laughs> um, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah is like taken from a lot it takes a lot from this story yeah and so when i was telling this story to my students in class 
like one of the girls just started singing it and was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I saw her bathing on the roof. Yeah. I get it yeah. now. And I was like, yep. Yep. yep that's what's happening. That flawed vessel thing. Yeah. There it is. That's, that's really funny to me because I, I didn't realize that that was the thing people didn't understand. <laughs> I was like, oh, it was, people don't it was a song about King David. It's called Hallelujah. I heard How that do David you... played a secret chord. He played the harp. That was a thing. He played the harp and made the king go to sleep and it made him like yeah. be- inherit the kingdom. Right. Like, wh- how is that not obvious? Yeah. Like, that's, that's the, the whole, whole story. That's, yeah. Anyway, that's the point. if you don't know anyway. the story of David, go look it up. It's in the Bible. Yeah, you know, part of the story yeah. of David. <laughs> it's a really, yeah. The story of Abigail, who was, I guess, his second wife. It's really the story that I think is like the most baller, but like, we'll save that for another. Yeah, day. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, are you getting these books for your nibblings? For oh God, Christmas? no! I don't even think that like they're sold in the Bay Area. To be honest, like I, I'd no, have to go I'm to like, like the suburbs. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I could get them at Barnes and Noble. I haven't looked, but I have a friend who works there and asked her, and she was like, "I haven't seen yeah. them." Yeah, I like she, we would know. Yeah, she would know. Yeah, yeah, and all the all the bookstores uh, in Oakland and Berkeley are like local anarchist lefty bookstores that are Trump not going to carry that at all. <laughs> and if if I asked, I feel like I would be banned. So probably not happening. But, like, mm-hmm. honestly, my parents probably have them already. They're probably like, oh, hey, look, it's this book about the president. Probably. Which is so... Uh. Franklin Graham said it's a good idea. Yeah. Oh, God. I just real. I'm like, I still have the King's College Wikipedia page up. Oh, yes. I just saw something else. So they have a semester-long, like, exchange program with for other universities. Right. Um, and includes Biola University, University of Mississippi, and 34 partner schools total. And the last one on the list, according to this, is Uganda Christian University. What? Which you know the connection there, right? No. This is, this is interesting. Okay, well, you know how, like, there's been this, like, slow burn genocide of gays in Uganda? Yes. That's... That's directly a result of conservative fundamentalist evangelical involvement in Ugandan politics. Yeah, that makes sense. Slash, you know, the, like, Anglican spinoff churches? Yeah. That are, you know, abandon the bishops in the U.S. and England because they support gay priests. Oh... Their bishops are in Uganda. Of course. Not all of them, but like right. some of those branches. Yeah. Um, my dad's church, I don't know if he still goes there or not, but like, yeah, they had a Ugandan bishop. Oh. Uh... There's a, that's, that's just a, just a sign yeah. about what their politics are. Yeah. What you should know about this school yeah. in the Empire State Yeah, Building. like don't go there. <laughs> don't. <laughs> If you're queer, it's don't not. It's not that. even a great education. Like you can go to better no, schools. No, oh <laughs> Any God. school no, is better. NYU. Go to NYU for yeah, Hansen. exactly. Like if you want to oh, go to you an get art so school, much, so much more. Yeah, seriously. 
so many other schools have so many better options. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that's why this book is shit. And <laughs> I don't know. I just like I. It's so. It's so hilariously textbook. Like this yeah. is a very like textbook pivot. Mm-hmm. It surprised me that it was Eric Metaxas who was the one who did it because of his Bonhoeffer connections. Right. Like, he would like see the irony in it. No, but apparently as not. He's and desist stuff. And no, he can't. The man can't see past his own nose. Nope. Which like is also not surprising. No. But like it, no, it really goes to show is- like how how little like consistency there is, you know, like Mhm. It's so weird. Right. Well, I mean, a lot of it comes from like they're already used to rewriting history. Yeah. Yeah. So, why not do it contemporaneously? Yeah. Yeah. Like if we're rewriting it to favor white people, so let's rewrite it to favor the fundies. Like, right. I don't know. It's not that different. Yeah, no. And, like, that's also part of their plan and, like, why, like, a Becca and Bob Jones curriculum exists. <laughs> like, it's, you know, it explains all of our school curriculums as well. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the whole point. The conspiracy is real. This is just, this is, is real. this is the title of the episode again. And uh, Eric Metaxas is the conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, what else? We had a couple of listener questions that we responded to privately. Um, one was a follow-up on our homeschool media thing and talking about watching The Village. Yeah. Which I thought was a really good thing. Um, because I remember... So our... <laughs> Do you remember Redacted? Yes. Yes. But Redacted really wanted me to watch The Village with him and, like, brought it up to when he visited me at school. He was going to Patrick Henry at the time. Um, oh, right. was like, yeah, right. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, like, brings up the, the Village and is like, you've never seen this, you have to see this. Like, it was one of those, like, the lead actress looks like you, so you have to see it. And also, like, I think this plot would interest you kind of mm-hmm. things. So I get shown The Village, and I and he was like, you're never going to guess the ending. You're never going to guess the ending. Did you guess it? Oh, my God. It was so easy. I guess the ending. <laughs> and I, like, called it, like, maybe, like, 15 minutes in. Mm-hmm. And I made him so mad because, you know, mansplaining boy. Um, right. So he was so pissed. He was like, "Oh my god, you've never seen this before. Did you Google it? Like you Googled it. Like you like, looked it up on like Clear Eyes or whatever you know the Christian right. review program was. It wasn't yeah. Clear Eyes. It was something else. Was it plugged in? No, that was it was blue something. Oh yeah, I know there what you're like, talking there, about. Yeah, there was one that was like, and then they kiss for five minutes. This is yeah. This, this should be rated R. You know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's a yeah. it's got purity culture ratings um yes it's you know we ha- no, out in the normal default world have rotten tomatoes the christians <laughs> have like infinite number of movie censorship sites that are like there was hand holding before marriage Three so watch this with your profanity, kids and have a conversation word, the d word and the s word <laughs> yes yeah oh and also the h word 
Oh, and also the H word. And, right. And God's name was used in vain at least 20 times. Right. Yeah. Definitely do not watch with children. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. No, like, so he was, like, accusing me of having looked it up on one of these websites. And I was like, I just figured it out. It's not that complicated. I don't feel like it was that hard. And our our reader, our listener, sorry, not reader, um, <laughs> emailed us and was like, watching The Village was like a pivotal moment for me with that because it was good representation of what the world was like. And I figured out the ending really early on because it was such a good representation of what leaving. Yes. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I also watched it like shortly after leaving and starting deconstructing things mm-hmm. and i was like this is familiar like none of it took me by surprise no i was it just didn't, like, like yep that's significant because that's was, how that works yeah well and, and that's the thing is i wasn't out yet yeah i was still yeah. very deep in when i watched that and i still like immediately recognized it. i mean a part of that was because my college felt so liberal compared to my upbringing, so maybe that's right. why. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I was like, we're listening to the top 40 pop hits in the bathroom in the girls' dorm now. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so like, edgy. So what's this band Santana? <laughs> Train. Uh, Did you start watching television that was airing? At the same time I was as you were not watching, watching contemporaneous television. I was watching. <laughs> I was catching up on Arrested Development, and like, I mean that's also good. But I was so angry about it. I like couldn't <laughs> handle the humor. The humor was like so offensive to me because I was right. still like so nascent. I was like, yeah. I didn't like. There's like the whole like tough skin thing, and then there's the whole like. If you put an egg in vinegar for a couple of days, like this, the shell like softens and becomes like super fragile and thin. Yeah. That was like how I was. I couldn't stand it. The humor was so biting. I'd never been around anything that like mm-hmm. sharp. Yeah. And so it was like, I would like have to walk out halfway through an Arrested Development episode having a panic attack. Yeah. Because it was too much. <laughs> Yeah. So I was not watching things that were like contemporary. Right. But I did watch The Village and I did like feel blase about it because it was so familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I like didn't fully understand how it was a horror movie because I was like, this isn't like really scary. It was like, this is big. I was like, this is just like what I, this is the air I breathe. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't understand Mm -hmm. why this is so weird to people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now I now I understand, but I was just like, this is okay. So okay. this is just like a weird religious cult, not so, unlike so, anything um, else. I don't know if any if you read this, but like, there's this uh, middle grade fiction novel called Running Out of Time that I read at one point that was like the same plot as The Village almost. No. Yeah. Which I don't think that like. I don't think there's been, a, like, a lawsuit or anything about, like, copyright. But yeah. it was, like, the same story. Mm-hmm. And it's a middle-grade novel where, like, the girl, she's, like, it's an experiment facility. She's in a warehouse. She doesn't realize it. She, like, thinks she's living in cabins in the woods. And, like, yeah, yeah. And, settler family. 
Yeah. And like everybody dies of smallpox, but she doesn't. And it's because she wasn't born in the settlement. She had a vaccine as a baby mm. and like her parents didn't write it on like, I, if, if I'm remembering this right, and her parents didn't write it on like their intake information for like the, the experiment. Ah. So like everybody dies except her and she's like 15. She like has to get away. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's the same story basically. Yep. There was another movie with um, Jim Carrey. Are you talking about the Truman Show? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Also, and my yeah. father, my father was obsessed with that movie and made us watch it multiple times. Weird. Ironic. <laughs> that's that's like, wow. <laughs> my father, my father's other like big movie that he was obsessed with was The Matrix, like the first episode. Oh, fascinating. I was not allowed to watch The Matrix, but it like, was on while I was at I a speech and debate ever, party. And I, don't I think pretended I ever finished not to watch the it. trilogy because I was like so pissed off about the association. That's fair. Yeah. It's but, better now that we know all of the Wachowski siblings are trans. Well, yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> no, it makes so much sense. No, I should so go back and finish sense. it. But, like, I remember watching the first one with him and just being like, wow, okay, this is wild. And, like, he, he was, like, so into it. He was just so into it. He was wow. obsessed. Ironic. So yeah. ironic. Yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. that's why they call it being red-pilled. Yeah. True facts. <laughs> True facts. True facts. True facts. Um, and then the other question from our, our listeners was about our current relationship with our families, which I feel like we've yeah. answered before, but we can s- update. Yeah. Well, I did talk to all of my siblings for the first time in 10 years this summer. That's true. Which was exciting and a lot. But, but also basically, the first time in 10 years. Yeah, yeah, it was the first time in 10 years. There is a sibling of mine who I have met in person once when she was a baby, and it is weird to, like, have, like, the realization that, like, my youngest siblings have no history with me and have no idea who I am or, like, anything Mm -hmm. is, like, it's a weird feeling. But it's also kind of, like, refreshing because I feel like with them when they become adults they won't have the same like I was their parent relationship like I have with my middle siblings yeah that's always a fraught one I yeah my youngest younger siblings like it's like there's like that like straddling the line of like parental involvement and then there's like cool aunt yeah yeah weird aunt weird aunt but yeah I definitely fall in that like yeah. Extended family rando category. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah, well, your relationship with your family. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's sum it up by like I mean, you can obviously say whatever you want or not, but like I just think it's super relevant that like you know how to block specific IP addresses from commenting on various yes. things because of them. Yes. Yes. I a lot of my Honestly, a lot of my, like, OPSEC knowledge came from needing to know how to shut my family out of my digital life. And, like, how, not that they're separate or different, but, like, how to keep my family out of my email and reading my, like, internet chat history and my search history and Mm -hmm. my blog, actually. Because 
I don't actually know if I've told this story. And <laughs> I'll just do like a quick synopsis of yeah. it. Um, so when I was 19 in 2010, I wrote this blog post about how homeschool parents have a duty to their children to give them the best education that they can. And in it case is you can't not tell from their vocal inflections <laughs> right now, Karen is doing like very quintessential like gay man hands right now. Yes, it's <laughs> it's very emphatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, so I wrote this post that was like, I think homeschool parents need to do right by their kids. And if that means hiring a tutor or sending them to school, then that doesn't mean that they're any less good parents or educators. It just means they know their limits and that's fine and that's valid. And my parents commented on that. And I think the comments are actually still up on my blog. I'll link to that post in the description too because it's fascinating. Because mm. this happened before CRHE happened. Mm-hmm. Like I basically wrote out like the general platform of the Coalition mm, for Responsible Home Manifesto. Education yeah. yeah, in my in my blog post that got me disowned by my family. Because they read it. Oh, running away on your 18th birthday wasn't enough? No, no. That... And marrying the man that they banned you from me. <laughs> right. Those were all forgivable sins. But saying that homeschool parents maybe should get tutors or could possibly even send their well, children to Karen, school. obviously that is an abdication of their God-given responsibility as parents. Well, I mean, that's, that's basically what they told me. They were like, this was a slap in the face to us and everything we believe and we want nothing to do with you until you apologize uh. for the hurt you caused. And I was like, fine, I won't talk to you then. Yeah. And I, because they had commented on my blog, I had their IP address. So I just copied that, went to my web host, pasted it in the blocked IPs box, mm-hmm. and they couldn't see my blog until they moved several years later. Good job. <laughs> so, and now I think they can see my blog, and I have no way to get their IP address because they haven't commented, but whatever. It's fine. But see, the thing is, you shouldn't have to know how to do these things. Right. I guess that's like, true. Speaks volumes <laughs> to, to like that. The, that's the quality of that relationship. Yeah, yeah. So we don't talk. I, I, in in 2013, um, like my parents ignored the estrangement and would like send me shit and send me letters and newsletters and, and bullshit mm-hmm. that just made me feel bad. And then I was, I found out in 2013 that they were using the things they disagreed with about my life through spying on me through like my relatives' Facebooks. Um, oh, good. To like beat my brother over the head and and use me as an example like don't be like your sibling don't do that and so what I did then because I know how my family operates and they're just like if you've seen the veggie tales and the rumor weed mm-hmm. my parents are the rumor weed oh yeah like that is who they are that is just their entire life's purpose is to stir shit have you heard the one about Kieran yeah a dangerous subject I'm told. Right. So (laughs) because they like have their own internal family rumor mill, what would happen is like a relative of mine would find something out about me and tell my parents. They would all talk about it and hypothesize about things, never like validating with me or anything like that. And we just like use it over my siblings. And so what I did was I wrote a letter to my parents, my grandparents and my aunt and uncle 
because mm-hmm. they were all part of this club. I sent it out on the same day. So mm-hmm. they all got it at the same time mm-hmm. and had nothing they could question about because everything they had questions about, I addressed in the letter. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm bi, I'm agnostic, and like I have blue hair and all of this stuff that I knew was stressing them out. And I just owned it. And I was like, if you want, like, don't talk to me. I want you to have nothing to do with my life unless and until you get to the point where you want to get to know me as I am right now as a person and not who you want me to be. Yeah. And it has been almost six years now. And they have not demonstrated that at all. They have reached out to me a couple times, but it was still kind of like, oh, hey, this family member died or like my dad had and maybe still has an untreated hernia and obviously wasn't going to the doctor because doctors are evil. So they're like, you know, yeah, yeah. So you should, um, you know, reconcile because this is happening. And I'm like... Mm. not once are you asking like how I am how things are going like nothing to indicate like an interest in me as I am now so I don't talk to my parents I have no relationship with my parents and I'm happy with that but I do talk to my adult siblings which is nice and weird yeah adult siblings are cool yeah I so my my siblings, my adult siblings are all pretty traumatized. So we go through kind of cycles of like being able to talk to each other or not because they got so parentified. There's, there's definitely some distance where it like is hard for them to talk to me sometimes. Yeah. They find me triggering because there's this like authority associated with me that was, you know, given by parents putting me in charge of things way too early. Right. So there's some there's some distance because of that. And then my mom, my mom's like a sister wife. Like mm-hmm. like we co-parented various siblings. And we still talk, but like when she calls me, it's like a data dump of like right. what's going on and like looking for advice parenting advice on things and you know, I I don't feel like I can have needs as a daughter Mm -hmm. in any way because there's there's no bandwidth for me so I don't feel like I have a mom I feel like I have an older sister yeah slash co-parent yeah yeah and my father my father's like tried to do a lot of work I will give him credit on that like he's he's definitely like able to articulate what he did wrong but it doesn't seem to have like so, like actually set in. Mm-hmm. So, like I'm trying to figure out which anecdote to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, like the last time my my youngest sister's eleven, she'll come and stay with me for a long weekend occasionally, like twice a year, beginning and end of the school year. Mm. At, before school started in the fall, she stayed with me for a long weekend, and I bought her shoes. Because she didn't have shoes that she, like, she had literally her holes were, she had, like, holes where her toes were. Uh. And mom is, like, been dealing with, like, hospital bills for the twins and they've got some serious mental health problems and, like, they've been in and out and it's been a whole thing. And so she was, like, 
broke and couldn't afford shoes for my sister. And I was like, well, did you ask your dad? Mm-hmm. And he's like, he couldn't afford it. And I was like, okay. Fast forward to like a month later, and I see all these posts with one of the twins, one of my brothers, taking a flying lesson with my father that my father's paying for. Wow. And I'm like, so wait, I bought my sister's shoes. And you are also making my mother, like, for all of the hospital things, bring you receipts for reimbursement for the prescriptions from CVS. Wow. To, like, before you, like, agree to reimburse her for, like, meds for my siblings. And you can afford to go take them on flying lessons. And this is the this is the thing is like I I told him like we can't have a relationship as long as I'm going to be angry at you for like mistreating my siblings and my mother. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I see like active change and like like he's a he's apologized to me pretty profusely. Um and he really seems to want a relationship again. But the minute I ask questions about things like this yeah it becomes defensive and like i don't see what the problem is here and like no but you read what you really don't understand is and it's not real reasons it's it's all excuses about how he feels like he deserves to be forgiven because he's like done x amount of work and whatever else that he does from here is like based on a blank slate in his mind wow and i say it as cumulative yeah yeah because it, it all trickles into each other. like Yeah. So he's super sad about it. But I think it's healthier for both of us for me to not talk to him. Because if I did talk to him, I don't know that I'd have the self-control to not like actually like bite in on these things. And like mm-hmm. I knew this man very well. I know his buttons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to push them just to push them. Right. Because that's what I would do if I got angry. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I can't. I need, I, I need to back off. Like, there's no way. And when I don't have to buy my sister's shoes and my mom doesn't have to, like, provide you CVS receipts for my brother's Wellbutrin or whatever. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we can talk. But, like, if you're still, like, every single time I'm like, ah, it's been a, like, it seems like he's maybe, like, turned a corner. Like, or he's treating these people well. Maybe it's fine. And then I hear another nope. story like that, and I'm just like, nope. cool, we can just start the clock over again. Yep. Like, you don't get it. Yeah. Like, you intellectually get it, but, like, the heart's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's I don't like, know I know that's the things fixable. to say. And, like, I know, I know there's, like, a whole school of thought about forgiveness and all this, and, like, yeah, I just, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of at the point it. where, like, I don't know that I will ever really be able to forgive my parents and I'm actually kind of okay with that. Like, I don't hate them, but I don't have to forgive them for what they did. Well, also... And I kind of do actually hate them a little bit. (laughs) For one, like, you're allowed to... Like, your feelings are very valid. Like, they did you a lot of harm. Two, forgiving is not the same thing as, like, ignoring harm or not being angry. Forgiving is also not the same thing as 
inviting an abusive person back into your life. Yes. Like, we can forgive abusive people, but we can also right. still be like, and X harm was done, and that has not been reversed. Yeah. And, like, and you're not welcome past this point. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't trust you. Like, these things are not incompatible, and I feel That's like it's a true. very healthy approach. Like, sure, I haven't necessarily forgiven him for things, but, like, right. also, I don't feel like I need to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's more of, like, where I'm at. Where it's, like... I don't wish him any harm anymore. Yeah. I don't hate him anymore. I definitely did. But, like, at this point, I'm just, like, I miss the person you could have been, but you're mm -hmm. not that person, and I grieved that loss, and I've moved on with my life. Yeah, yeah. I'm at the point where, like, I've kind of... I have grieved my grieved my parents already and mm -hmm. like coped with the things that people usually cope with when a parent dies. Yeah. And I'm just like they're gone to me like in 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 the emotional way like I I don't need them. I don't they don't I was like, telling you, you about know. this writing assignment I was having my students do recently. Yeah. Um I was a writing assignment in response to an essay where the author reacts to something in a way that she's not proud of and yeah and tries to grapple with that and it's a, it's a death related thing and so I asked my students to like write about an incident where they were like there was this distance between like the person they expected themselves to be and like who they actually were in reality and the wake when the rubber hit the road and mm -hmm. a lot of them wrote about things like my grandpa's funeral happened and like I didn't cry and I feel comfortable like sharing this anecdote because it was like more than Five or ten. It was right. a lot. Um, and, like, I felt bad about that. So it was not an individual who said that. But, like... Right. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, yeah, I, I relate to that. Because I, I have no idea how I'll cope when my parents pass. Yeah. But I feel like I've already grieved my father. Mm -hmm. My father is the person independent of, like, a father-daughter relationship. Who he is now exists outside of that. Right. Like, that's another, like, he is an extended family. It's, it's like with my mom, where it's like I talk about her like an older sister. Like, yeah. I don't have parents effectively, but yeah. I do have these people in my life who I yes. like, respect and care about and keep distance with. Mm -hmm. But the roles I was supposed to fill have effectually been grieved, effectively yeah. been grieved. Yeah. We went long. <laughs> we did. We did. Hopefully that answered your question about where we were with our parents. That was a deep one. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. complicated. Like, honestly, it's complicated and it varies a lot depending on, like, how triggered I am that day. Right. And I will <laughs> like, say, I will say for our listeners, if you're looking for a model for how to walk this path, like... Don't your story is your own story. Like it's it's like the whole like yoga practice and running. Like the, all of those rules about like you are on your own track and this is your experience and you can't compare. Yeah. Definitely hold to that with this. This is not like our stories are not yours. Yeah. Like you have to set your rules and your mm -hmm. practice for this. Yeah. And that's going to be based on, like Kieran said, like how triggered you are feeling that day. Right. <laughs> like, like you may find it really productive to like still engage with your parents. You may 
engage with your parents, even if it's not productive, just so that you can stay in touch with younger siblings. You yeah. may like totally be like, fuck you guys, I'm done. And like be out yeah. in a way that's like a lot more hardcore than we have. Like, yeah. And it changes over time. Yes. Like there's a whole spectrum to it. Like you're more, you, you like before 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you would have been like, no, I don't talk to my family ever. Yeah. And now you're yeah. like, yeah, we just talked. So yep. it evolves. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It changes. It changes over time. And like it gets easier with time too. Right. And not ways. every not every parent comes around. But like if it will make you feel better, I'll just end on this like happier note. My mother, when I got divorced, cried when I told her I got an IUD. Because of misconceptions well, about what yeah. an IUD does. And then after she left my father and got a job, she started working for the local health department as a nurse in city housing in Richmond. Wow. (laughs) And was like doing family planning services and intake for like uninsured and immigrant and poor families. So like when I got out of the Peace Corps. Mm Mm-hmm. So 2013 was when she cried about it. When I got out of the Peace Corps, it was 2017. And so that's four years. And I was like, I don't know if like Peace Corps is going to like change my IUD out for me because it was when it needed to be around the time when it needed to be done. I didn't know right. what Trump was going to do to health care. I was like, need to get it updated. Got to switch this out. Was having some problems with what I had. Wanted a different model, whatever. And she was yeah. like, well, if that's fine, if Peace Corps won't do it, like, you know, figure that out. But, like, let me know. Because if they can't do it, then, you know, you can come down here and we'll get you taken care of. Aww. So, like, that's the, Aww. that's what four years of, like, not giving up on her did. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and a lot of that, yeah, I mean, a lot of that happened due to conversations about Wendy Davis when she yeah. did her filibuster. Like, we had a lot of conversations about this issue around that. And so, you know, do talk about politics with your family. Like, you don't know if it's going to go anywhere. But if you're still in touch with them and you're still having conversations, like, don't shy away from that stuff. Yeah. Because it can it can turn around. Yeah. Planting or watering the seeds is still worthwhile if you, like, are in a place where you can do that. Yeah. 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 Ooh, okay. Wow. All right. Um, <laughs> that was a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Don't buy Eric Metaxas's new books. Yes. If you see them in the bookstore, um, please hide them. Yeah, just like bury them behind some other books. Yeah. Put them in the back. Yeah. They'll eventually get sent back to the publisher and, and pulled. And it'll be fine. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, send us any other questions you've got. We'll do a couple more episodes before the new year. Yes. Um, yeah. We'll probably do. We had a hangout that we invited patrons to on the evening of Thanksgiving, just in case people were family bound and needed an escape or family less and needed to hang. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to report nobody joined because I guess. You all apparently had like good Thanksgivings. So. Yeah, that's I'm so I, happy. Like, that makes me happy. <laughs> um, but I will probably do something similar, like uh, around Christmas, New Year's, 
where mm-hmm. people can come hang out. Um, I watched Frozen 2. You haven't watched Frozen 2. I haven't seen it. I will. I have thoughts and opinions and would like to talk about it. But, you know, everybody catch up. We'll yeah. do it together. <laughs> do it together as a group. It's fine. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. We'll have a frozen orgy. It's fine. <laughs> yes. That seems that seems like the solution. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you for listening. Something that we also want to do for the new year is start getting our episodes transcribed. So yes. if you're not already supporting our Patreon, um, please do because that will allow us to get more episodes. So um, one of the things that we want to do is not just like have a bot transcribe these because there's a higher error rate with those things and and we want to pay transcriptionists to like yeah like actual human beings fair wages to do this so um we're looking into various services that employ them Mm -hmm. um we gotta finish checking doing our research but we've been wanting to do this since we started it's going to be a long process. We, you know, obviously started with beans since we were just putting this out there. Yeah. But now that we've got a bit of a a regular monthly contrib- contribution coming yeah. in, we're going to start doing it a couple episodes a month. Um, so if you'd like to up your patronage or to start support if you that, haven't or start if you haven't to support that, that would go a long way to helping our uh, auditorially disabled listeners. Yeah. Be able to I like the idea it. of having our podcast be accessible to people who like prefer reading over listening. Well, or yeah, I can't. I like, have I have like auditory processing problems, so yep. like I I'm not a big podcast listener. Same. Same actually. <laughs> like like true confessions here. Yeah. I really like the Dolly Parton podcast. I really like Splendid Table occasionally. I really don't listen to things beyond that. Yeah. Largely because just like auditory processing is so hard for me. And so I prefer to read. Yes. Yeah. I am I am always, always more down to read a thing uh, than listen to it if if I have the option, despite doing a podcast, which is what's really funny. But soon, with your help, we will be able to start offering that for our listeners and more future listeners who also have the same problems with listening to things that we do. Which is <laughs> great. Be so great. Um, yeah, and it'd be just good to have that like as an archive for I don't know. There's we've been contacted by various researchers at various points, and yeah, that'd be important. It's a good idea. Yeah. So our. Our Patreon is Kitchen Table Cult Pod, so go to there if you have not yet, and contribute to our new fancy audio transcription plan. Kick over a couple of dollars. Yeah. Um, if you have questions, our email address is kitchentablecult at gmail.com. Yep. And if you are on our Patreon and you want to access the old episodes, you can do that by going to kitchentablecult.com and signing in with the sign in on Patreon button. And then suddenly the entire archive will exist because I haven't updated the links in Patreon yet. <laughs> um, and we've had a couple questions from students or people who can't necessarily afford uh, a subscription to access the archive and made that available to them so if you would like to 
contribute toward that if you're someone who is like doing all right financially and would like to pay for someone's access um we'd appreciate that and if you can't afford it right now and you'd like to be sponsored into that let us know I have now worked out the technical details, so there's a system, and it works, and it's good. And yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. Thank you all for being with us on this journey and for tuning in for the rest of this year. And then, geez, next year is going to be exciting. Yeah. I and just realized we're gonna it's start December today. Plugging, like, now that we're in December, we're going to start plugging CRHE and contributing to that with their yeah. your, like, end of year you know philanthropic donations yes like for two you need to get those tax write-offs we have organizations for you to support yeah good. we'll pull that together later though all right yeah. thanks for joining us the music on this episode is from the band the heavens from their albums to nazo and our producer is dave the great thank you so much and thank you for editing out the purring <laughs> so much catling so much, so cat. much catling all right thanks for joining us Bye. Bye.